Hey everyone and welcome to the CVM Ireland podcast. Here at CVM we are a search and rescue agency seeking to see men's lives transformed through the power of the gospel of Jesus. We help churches all over Ireland and beyond try to achieve this and help us guys as we journey every day in our lives following Jesus. We want to let you enjoy our recordings from our 2019 DNA Men's Conference, which took place in Carmoney. Uh, it happens every year as we gather hundreds of men from all over the island of Ireland and beyond, as we worship, as we lift up the name of Jesus, and as we encounter him and get the grips with the challenges he lays out to us as men. So sit back, relax, and be blessed. Right, Mike, um, I'm, I'm, I'm going to pray for you. Um, so thank you so much for coming over. So Mike was over last year with Jeff Foth. And as you can see, he's a very big man. He makes me look small. Um, and when you shake his hand, it's, it's even intimidating for me. So thank you so much for being here. He's a man who just exudes Jesus, just a piece about him. Um, so I get the pleasure of being able to pray for him now uh, before he shares with us about standing as men. Um, so Lord, be with this man of God. Um, we just pray that you just open um, the word uh, through him, Lord. We pray for your words to come through him, Lord. Um, and just be with him. Let your spirit go before him, Lord. Um, bless him. Uh, we thank you. Uh, just sustain him as he got in last night or yesterday afternoon. And uh, just give him energy, Lord. And thank you for him and his ministry and the way that he stands as a man. Amen. Okay, there we go. So, hey, it's great to be back in Ireland. <laughs> When your voice is loud, sometimes you don't know what's on, and, and you should imagine being in my head. Um, <laughs> it is good to be with you, and um, one of the things that I love is getting to travel a bit around God's world, world and hearing the masculine voice raised up. The masculine voice raised up in worship is one of the most securing and satisfying things to my soul, so thank you for that. Thank you for entering into worship. Thank you for showing up here. Um, as these men have, have alluded to, I have the, the privilege of getting to direct, uh, I can't call it a men's ministry anymore, but we are in the business of building better men. That's what we're about. We, we have found that if you capture the heart of a man, the family changes. We heard some of these statistics from Spud earlier of fatherlessness at an epic proportion not only on your island, but in our country. And so what we are about as a ministry is to go after the hearts of men so those in their sphere of influence are safe. That's what we're longing to do. And we do it one heart at a time. It has been an awesome journey to be with, uh, with Jeff Voth and the ministry of Cape Time. I'd, I'd welcome you guys to check out our site, see what the Lord is doing through our ministry. The beauty of our ministry is this. We haven't discovered anything new. All we've done is we've found biblical discipleship and we package it to the heart of men. That's all that we do. And it comes across in five different areas. If we can train men to show up, half the battle is already accomplished. Show up is the first thing. The second is teaching men how to worship. Like I talked about, the idea of lifting our masculine voices, we are safe, our communities are safe when we lift the masculine voice. Being men of prayer, not these kindergarten prayers, bold battle prayers that enter into the very throne room of God with boldness. 
teaching men how to pray, teaching men how to engage the word. You will see what, what we speak about, what I talk about this, this afternoon, is gonna be grounded in the word. This is the best transformational book that we have ever found because it's alive. And so if we can train men to accurately handle the word of God, we see a safety come in our communities and in our homes. Lastly, community. Teaching men to be a band of brothers. Teaching men to live in the community that God has called us to. You've just heard our entire discipleship model for cave time. See, it's simple. What we figured out is that if guys have five fingers on their hands, they can figure it out. There's a simplicity to it. Show up, worship, prayer, engage God's word, and celebrate the community that God has called you to. So with that, it is a great honor for me to be able to speak with you this morning, to share an element of my heart with you this morning that God has downloaded from heaven, and I'm excited for this message for you and for me. Before I do that, would you join your hearts with me and let's pray. Gracious Father, thank you for this morning, this afternoon, the worship that's been had, what you have coming up in the hours ahead of us. Lord Jesus, I commit this time to you. I trust you. Put myself in a position of worship unto you. Lord, you know my heart's cry is that I want more than anything that the name, your name, would be lifted high and that I would be forgotten, that I would be removed from these men's mind and that they would come away from this time saying, oh, I don't know what that cat was all about, but I know he loves Jesus and I want to know this Jesus. Help us to know you more. Help us to be shaped and formed into your image more and more and more. May our lives, may our worship, may our homes be beacons of light that bring worship, praise, and renown to your name, Jesus. Use me as your vessel today. I offer you all of the preparation. I offer you all of the prep and pray that you would just blow away the things that are not of you and simply use me as your vessel to speak your truth first into my heart and into the hearts of these men represented. We pray for protection against the enemy. I know he has attacks attended for this time. I know that he has attacks attended, intended for the hearts and the minds of the men in this room. I know there's distractions that the enemy would love to throw like fiery darts. Extinguish them, Holy Spirit. Let this be consecrated as holy ground that is pleasing and acceptable to you and you alone. It's in Jesus' name I pray all these things. Amen. Open your Bibles, if you would, to Ephesians chapter 6. We are going to go on a journey this afternoon together. This is a text that many of you have heard many, many times. This is a text that you will be familiar with. There will be a, a tendency for you to glaze over some of, some of the words that you've probably read over a hundred times throughout the scripture. What I would ask is that you allow an element of, of Holy Spirit focus to hear some specific layers that we unpeel with a very familiar text. 
See, that can become a, a real danger for us as believers, is that we can have a, a commonality of the uncommon. And so what I desire is that, that we're able to look at this text with new eyes. That's been my prayer for you as we knew this text was coming for months. I've been praying that God would open your eyes to something fresh and new as we engage this. There is a friend of mine that um, has handled this text with excellence. Um, he's an American, and he came and shared an, an element of this that I'm going to, in, in fact, share with you. Some of the best preachers just steal stuff from other guys. So that's what I'm going to do this morning, is, is share an element of, of his uh, unpacking of the scriptures and pray that it just penetrates your heart like it did for me in the first telling. What we are looking for in this text, men, is that we want to recognize, first and foremost, the battle. We want to recognize the battle that we are in. We want to recognize the armor that we have the ability to be equipped with, and we also want to recognize the victory that we've been called to walk in. Those are the three areas that we're going to unpack together. The context of this scripture, my pastor back home says, a text with no context is no text at all. So we have to know what's the context, what is taking place in the scriptures here as we unpack them together this afternoon. The context of this particular verse is hand-to-hand spiritual combat. Hand-to-hand, eye-to-eye, toe-to-toe, that's the context that we find Ephesians 6. Paul is writing this text from prison. It was also called Hell's Hole, is where, where Paul is being held up. This is where he is scribing this text for, for the church in Ephesus. That's, that's where he's in a dark dungeon. In the Hell's Hole, they said they would drop food and provisions from a hole in the ceiling. That's the context that he writes these things. That's the context that he writes these admonitions to the people. And that brings us to chapter 6, verse 10, that says this. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, because the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with the perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And for the sake of our time, we're gonna stop there with the text. This is a postscript, meaning almost a PS at the end of the letter that Paul is writing. 
Now, not just a, a PS to be an afterthought, but rather a postscript to be one of, this is of ultimate importance. It's as though you remember when you start a letter or you start a book, what is it that you remember a lot? The, the beginning and the ending. How's the ending? Is it a good ending? Paul is utilizing that natural tendency in the mind of a man, in the mind of the church, to say, this is of utmost importance. The language that Paul is bringing here is he's saying, I need your attention. When he says, finally, that's what he's trying to do. Say, men, listen up. This is important things that I'm telling you here. It's also powerful to see that in the original language, this language is command-type language. Paul isn't coming to the people and saying, I've got just a nice suggestion for you. I've got, I got something that you can consider, but pick up or, pick, or, or, or leave lay on the ground. No, there's a command type of push in Paul's voice to the church saying, men, you've got to pay attention to this. I'm not giving a suggestion. This is something that is vital for you to be a part of. You have to engage this, is what Paul is saying to the people. When the Hebrew language wants to emphasize something, it states it twice. So you can see in verse 10, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. They sound very similar, right? Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. They want, Paul wants the listeners, and the beauty is 2,000 years later, we are the listeners, to recognize the importance of this is where you have to be strong. Your strength to stand has to be in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Strength in his might, that, that term, the context of it, is that when you're preparing for fierce battles, you have to be strengthened by his strength. Did you catch that? In preparation for the fierce battle that you will face, that you've been facing today, that you've already been facing this week, that you'll be facing next week, in order to stand and be, be strengthened and prepared we have to be strengthened by his strength. It's interesting also that in the original language, this is in the passive voice, meaning that this happens to you. Paul is saying, men, as an element of command, let yourself be strengthened by his strength. Let yourself be strengthened by his might. Position yourself to where you can receive. Does that make sense? Paul has given us a key to spiritual battle that says you have to position yourself correctly. You have to position yourself ready, at the ready to, to be prepared for the battle that's in front of you. See, the danger is for many of us as men is we just run into the battle blindly. We run into the battle swinging like a wild man. And Paul is saying, no, 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 no. There's a preparedness that's necessary for you. Be strengthened by your God first and foremost. We will see in the text, and I read it for you already, that there's a lot of, uh, of armor language. 
many theologians have asked, is, is Paul thinking about Roman armor? Is he thinking about Greek armor? And to that, I would say, I think neither. I don't think that's what's on Paul's mind when he's speaking to the church and when he's speaking 2,000 years later to us this morning. I don't think that's what is on his mind. And I'll show you why. Turn in your Bibles, if you would, to Isaiah 59. Isaiah 59, verse 15. Look at this, man. The Lord saw it, and it displeased him, that there was no justice. He saw that there was no man, and wondered that there was no one to intercede. Then his own arm brought him salvation, and his righteousness upheld him. Now listen to this language. He put on righteousness as a breastplate, and a helmet of salvation on his head. He put on garments of vengeance for clothing. He wrapped himself in zeal as a cloak. According to their deeds, so will he repay. Wrath to his adversaries, repayment to his enemies. To the coastlands he will render repayment. So they shall fear the name of the Lord from the west and his glory from the rising of the sun. For he will come like a rushing stream which the wind, the Lord, dries. Paul is sitting in hell's hole realizing that the end of his life is coming. These are an element of his last words to the church. And he sees of ultimate importance that there is a specific armor that you are to put on that has nothing to do with physical armor. There is a specific armor that you are to to gird yourself up with on a daily basis, and it has to come way back to Isaiah. I believe Isaiah 59 was in the mind of Paul as he's unpacking this for Ephesians. Go back to Ephesians, if you would, chapter 6. So the armor that we're going to unpack here that we are to put on is the Messiah's armor. It is his battle preparations. It is what he has given us so that we can be prepared for the battle. That's the armor that we're to put on. I love it in ancient warfare... that when a mighty champion would either retire or expire, and the champion would typically expire, didn't typically retire, they would typically expire on the battlefield. They would lose their life. But the armor of the champion would be passed on to the next champion. Isn't that a beautiful picture? So so the the idea that you, you are given this armor that has already been battle-tested. I want you to think back to the narrative between David and Saul. Remember when David comes to the Valley of Elah and the Philistines have been taunting the people of God for 40 days and no one will stand up against this giant Goliath? Saul wants to prepare David. Saul wants to bring a preparedness for battle to David. And what's he trying to do? He tries to put his armor on. So many times in our mind we think David didn't use the armor because it didn't fit. That's not what the scripture says. It says David did not wear Saul's armor because it had not been tested. You see, Saul was a king who didn't go to battle. His armor hadn't been battle-worn. His armor didn't have dents. 
scratches, dirt, rock hole. His battle had not been tested. So David doesn't take on Saul's armor, not because it didn't fit, because it hadn't been tested. So when we, sit, we bring that same context of the champion passing his armor onto the next warrior, men, you are that warrior. You are that warrior that the Messiah says, I'm gonna pass my armor unto you. I'm gonna clothe you with my armor, the armor that has been tested and proven worthy. Does that open up some other doors when we start looking at this text? Rather than just saying, well, I gotta put the helmet on, I gotta put the breastplate on, I gotta get the belt of truth. Wait a minute. You have called me as a man of God to put your armor on that's been battle-tested and preparedness comes to me because I get to put your armor on for the battle? Men, that should make our shoulders roll back a bit more. That should make an element of walking in victory our reality. That's what the scripture talks about here. That's what Paul's thinking through as he's penning this 2,000 years ago. You are clothed in the armor of the Messiah. Look at verse 11. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. The text here, when it says the whole armor of God, it means the full armor of God. How many of you would ever show up to a sporting event or to a battle on the battlefield with only parts of your armor? Foolishness, right? There's no way we would show up. Think of it for, for me. If I showed up to the football field, American football, and I said, Coach, I, I forgot my helmet. I forgot my cleats. Send me in anyway. I'm ready to go. The coach would say, no, you're not. You're benched. You, you, no, it, it's not time for you to go to battle because you don't have your full armor on. Same thing for the battlefield. We go onto the battlefield, and if you told your commander, I'm here, but I don't have my boots on, and I forgot my gun. No, you're not ready to go into the battlefield. Paul is telling the people 2,000 years ago and us this, this afternoon, have the full armor of God on. Everything that Jesus, the Messiah, has already battle-tested, that's what you put on. That's what you go to battle with. It's interesting here that you see when we put on the whole armor of God, what's it put on for? The next part of the verse tells us that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. The, the charge that Paul is giving to the people 2,000 years ago is that I don't need you to rush the citadel. I, I don't need you to rush into the battle. You know what I need from you as a man? Stand. Fill the gap. Like Andy talked to us earlier this morning, stand before the gates of hell. Be a masculine presence. One of our first foundations of the Cape Time ministry, show up, men. Show up in your workplace. Show up in your homes. Show up in your parenting of your children. Show up in your, in your churches where you're worshiping this one true king. Be a man who stands in the gap. I was telling the guys earlier today, 
And that I love that we have a few females with us in the room. And I was saying, they are the safest women in all of Ireland. Think of what we've got here. We've got an army of warriors. They are the safest women in all the island. Because you know, if someone came into this church to try and harm one of them, oh, you picked the wrong day in the wrong church, right? There would be an element of protection that would rise up in you as a man because one is being objectified. That's the context that we see here. You don't have to run to the battle. The battle will come to you. You stand in position, ready for the battle. How, how do you stand ready? With the full armor of God. You'll notice in the text in the next couple verses, this idea of against is seen multiple, multiple times. And actually in the original language, it says it more than the English translation brings. It's almost like it's against, 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 against. Seven times in those two verses, Paul uses the word against. He wants to get it into your mind that there is an against that you have to pay, pay, pay attention to. In the Hebrew, this idea of against is a connotation of toe-to-toe, face-to-face with the opponent. Pete, can I borrow you for a second? Would you come on up here? <clears throat> so the, the picture is this. It is, it is face-to-face, toe-to-toe, and almost like a, a battle stance that, that this, is the, this is what it looks like when Paul says, against. This is what you're to do against the enemy. This position to where I'm right up inside of the enemy's territory, and I'm standing. My feet are planted. Even though he's maybe bigger than me, I stand, and I go toe-to-toe. Okay, thank you. Meaning, not because I have something in and of myself. Men, you've got to remember the text. It says you go into the army with the armor of the Lord. I can walk into that scenario and be victorious over the enemy because it's been battle-tested. Jesus has already used this armor, and it's proven itself faithful. It's proven itself victorious. It's proven itself ready for the fight. Men, that should fire you up to know that that's the battle you get to walk into. We have a term that we use in the ministry that says, we as men are called to get rid of our loser's limp. We're called to get rid of our loser's limp because of texts like this. Let's say, men, you can't lose with the stuff we use. You can't lose. That loser limp that keeps you from engaging the battle that you're called to, that keeps you from wanting to, to place the armor onto you in preparation for the battle, no more. No more. What would happen on this island if 300 men, consciously aware of the armor of God on them went into this world. What would happen, men? We would see our women would be safe. Our children would be protected. We would run communities, churches, homes, workplaces, like places of worship. Because that's what it would be. We know how to take the ground back. We go up to the enemy 
nose to nose, eye to eye, toe to toe, in this God's armor. Wow. We haven't even got to the armor yet, and we should be ready to go. We haven't even been told what to put on yet, and we should be ready to go because it's been battle-tested and proven victorious. We are to stand. <clears throat> Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against what? The schemes of the devil. Schemes in this text means crooked method, a cheater, one who, who goes in and changes the road signs. You remember hearing some of those stories of some of those crooks that would... Um, create crimes in certain time or places of the city, and then they went and changed the street signs so that when the authorities responded, the street signs were all different. They, they went the wrong way because they simply changed the road signs. That's the context of what we have here. The enemy with which you come toe-to-toe with is a liar. That's what scheme means. He is the father of liars. He has been whispering, shouting, pushing us in directions that don't line up with what's true. He is a liar, and being a liar, lying is his native language. How are you being lied to? What lies have you jumped onto and taken as your own? What lies of inferiority, what lies of of inability, what lies of fill in the blank a thousand different ways, which ones have you jumped onto and taken as your own? Men, you remember, when we look at the the armor that we get to put on, we can't lose. So let's identify those lies. Let's destroy those lies. Let's tear those thoughts down and walk in the victory that's been accomplished on our behalf. The enemy's schemes the lies that he tells are always to bring about confusion. How many men are married in here? You ever had a confusing fight with your wife? You ever feel like you're talking different languages? Right? Where you say this and this is heard on both sides of the table? I'm convinced that's an element of this. Don't go back and say, Mike said you are the enemy spouse. That is not at all what I'm saying. Because you'll see later, our wrestle is not against flesh and blood. But, I, but we see this. The enemy loves to drive confusion into marriage. Loves to bring about confusion where there's this, this confusion in the covenant of marriage. That's one of the lies the enemy loves to bring about. Be alert. The devil is a false accuser. Revelations 12.10 says that day and night he comes before the throne room of God and accuses you. His whole time is spent saying, hey, do you see what Spud just did? Do you see what Michael just did? Hey, do you see what Pete just did? Whispering those things to the Father. Did you see that sin that they just fell into? Did you see what one of your righteous just fell into? That's his gig. That's what he does 24 hours a day, bringing accusations against you before the Father. And guess what the Father does? Seated in power, 
says, oh, but I've clothed them with my righteousness. I've, I've, I've put my salvation upon their head. I've put my truth as a center for them. And those things, Satan, that you are saying to me, that's why my son Jesus went to Calvary. You see how we lose the loser limp? It's no longer for us. That's not our native pedigree. It's brand new because of what our Jesus did. We need to know what our adversary does. We need to know what his battle rhythms are. How does he fight? What are his tactics? How will he come against us? Every time I have the privilege of coming and addressing the hearts of men, the week before the enemy hits our home. Every time. Every time. And, and the thing that's amazing is you would think, okay, I, I'll be on to that. Guess how many times I fall for that? Every single time it comes around, I, I forget this. Ah. And that's why the Lord says, I, it doesn't bother me to remind you of these things. You have to be reminded that the enemy is going to attack. Another time that I see men, are, are men attacked by our God is right after a weekend like this. You need to be praying for Spud and for his family. Because the enemy hates what's taking place here. He hates what's the, the sharpening of men to get them battle ready. He hates that. And will do everything he possibly can to derail. You need to be praying for one another as you come on the other side of this. Now, mind you, who is our foe? He's defeated. He's a punk. He has no power. He is God's devil on a very short leash. Remember that. That's the type of power that we walk into the battle with. That's how we can be a wall for our people of protection when we know whose victory we're walking in. We are called to stand in God's armor and stand with tenacity. Look at verse 12. This will speak to marriage again. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. I want to stop there just for a moment. Ultimately, our battle is not with people. Ultimately, our battle is not with people. You have to hear that, men. The enemy and his lies will try and say, can you believe she just said that to you? I bet you she really thinks that's true of you. I think she really thinks you're filling the blank a thousand different ways. The enemy will always come at wanting you to think that the battle is between flesh and blood. And God says, no, 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 no. There's something way more going on here. There's something more spiritual of nature that's going on here. So please remember that in the midst of that. One of the things that Leah, my wife and I, my wife, will do is that we will call that out in the midst of the battle. Where Leah will say to me, it feels like this, the enemy's attacking us. That becomes my clue. Ah, you're right. We're going to attack back. We're going to stand in this gap together, united. Or I will do the same. Call that out and say, wait, you're not my enemy. The enemy of my soul is who's coming against us. Please, men, remember that in the midst of it. Some of you all going to try that this weekend? It's going to blow your wife's mind. Go for it. Give it a try. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, 
against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. The enemy that we fight is a conniving enemy at work behind the scenes. When you see in the scriptures, and it says here that the cosmic power over this present darkness, the idea here is that the enemy will come and fight in the dark. Think of so many of our, our, our worldwide conflicts. The conflict happens during the day. It's almost a gentleman's agreement that we fight while the sun's up. We see it all through ancient warfare in Israel, that there would be this mindset that the gentleman's agreement to battle, so we do it when the sun's out. Not the enemy that we have to deal with. He says the darkness is where I'm going to attack. The darkness when we are, are down and out, when depression hits us, that's where the attack's going to come. Because remember, he's a liar. He's a schemer. He's a punk. It's what he does. Don't be surprised when the attack comes in the dark. Don't be surprised. The scripture tells you this is where it's coming from. They not only attack for, at night, but also see that evil in the heavenly places. Heavenly places just means the sky up into the cosmos. So not only does this enemy come at night, he comes from the sky. So, so these attacks, it seems insurmountable when he hits, except that the scripture says, put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against these schemes. Look at verse 13. <clears throat> therefore, my pastor back home says, whenever your scripture says therefore, you have to ask, ask the question, what's the therefore, therefore? Why is it there? Why'd they say therefore? Because you have an enemy who fights in the dark. You have an enemy that does not fight fair. You have an enemy that his native language is lying because that's the enemy that's coming after you, wanting to destroy you and your reputation and your name. Because of that, verse 13, take up the whole armor of God. Paul's saying it again. He said, men, you can't miss this. The only way you can show up to this battle and have victory is when you put this, this armor of God on. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. I love this verse. What we see here is that the idea of, of taking up, I want you to go back in, in your text to verse 11, when it says, put on the whole armor of God, and verse 13 says, take up the whole armor of God. The two different connotations are, the first one is, pick it up. You have to have it with you. You don't show up to the battle without your armor. So the first thing is, you have to pick it up. The second one in verse 13, strap it on. It's no good if I have it sitting in, in the car. It's no good if I just have it sitting on the sidelines unless I strap this on to my person if I strap this on to be ready for the battle, that's the only way that victory is, is understood. It's the only way that victory is experienced. It's not only picking it up, but putting it on. When you look through, and as we'll unpack this, when you look at the different types of armor, the, the kind of armor that God has given us, which one is most difficult for you to put on? They're all yours. They've all been battle-tested. They've all been proven 
to be ready for you to put on and, and, and walk in victory, which one is the most difficult for you to put on? Ask yourself that question. And then let the second follow-up be, why? Why is that the most difficult one for me to put on? And I believe that the Lord will do powerful ministry even here today to say, this is for you, son. You're my boy. Put my armor on. Let's go to battle. You wouldn't show up to competition with half of your gear. Pick it up. Strap it on. Why do we want to put this on? So that we will be able to withstand. Withstand means to press in, to lean into the fight. When are we to lean into this fight? When the evil day is at hand. Man, if you haven't experienced that evil day, when nothing goes right, when you haven't experienced that evil day, when it seems like everything's crashing in on you, when you haven't experienced that day, you will. You will experience that. And Paul is screaming to the Ephesians. Paul is screaming to us this, this afternoon saying, men, this day is coming. Put the armor on. The attacks are coming. Put the armor on. Strap it on. Be ready. See, many times when the day of evil comes, when all things go wrong, we want to run. We want to do the opposite of stand. We want to run. And God's saying, no, no. I've empowered you. I've tested this battle. It's worthy. Strap it on and stand. The evil day is full of adversity. It will come to every one of us. But the beauty of the rest of this story is that that which was designed to destroy you, the mighty warrior King Jesus brings strength through that difficulty. Think of the difficult times that you walked through and you made it through, you didn't think you could in the midst of it, think of those difficult days, and think of when you got on the other side, or even if you're in the midst of it right now, take courage, you will get through. Take courage, you will be shaped and formed more into the image of the sun because of the adversity. I would venture to say, if this day of adversity hasn't come to you for a while, you're ineffective. Oh. If this day of adversity where the enemy has his sights on you because you're about the kingdom hasn't come, get about the kingdom's business. There are gaps that are going unfilled because you're not standing in them. And men, the Holy Spirit even now is speaking into those areas of your life that it's time to be the man of God that he's called you to. He's speaking into your mind right now those areas where it's time for you to strap on the armor of God and stand. He's faithful to that every single time we talk about this. Now the question becomes, what will be your response? Will obedience be your native language? Will we run the other way because it just seems insurmountable, it seems too hard? To stand in the gap, take courage, men. The armor that you've been given is satisfactory. It's battle-tested, and it works. When the scripture says, in the end of verse 13 here, having done all to stand firm, 
The idea here is that you're standing, having done all in the original text means that you're standing in a place of victory. So what Paul's saying to, to the listener and to you this afternoon is the victory has been won on your behalf. The armor that you bear is on the winning team. You're flying the right colors. Do you see that? This idea of doing all that, you, having done all to stand firm, it, it means as though the enemy has fallen and I stand over him. This is the position that we have ourselves over the vanquished enemy. That's what Paul's talking about here. Now, we can try and have this, these, these powerful times of machismo and try and fire each other up and say, we're going to be battle ready and go out in our own strength and we become the vanquished foe. We can't forget that the key to being a wall for our people, the key for standing as the man that God has called us to is we stand in the armor of our God. Don't miss that. The greatest disservice would have an army of men go out and try this in their own ability. And it will fail. It will absolutely fail. I think of this idea of having done all, meaning standing in a place of victory. Again, we go back to our boy David. When he stepped on the field in the Valley of Elah, and we have this Goliath that's taunting the people of Israel for 40 days, David steps onto the field, and it was already done. The battle was done. Goliath had no chance. We need to change the cultural mindset of it. It was a David and Goliath scenario. Goliath never had a chance that day. Never had a chance that day. He was a defeated foe before David ever stepped onto the battlefield. How do we know that? He's walking in the strength of the Lord. David didn't put on Saul's armor. He, he walked onto the battlefield equipped by the Spirit of God to bring victory, to celebrate the victory that has already been had. There's a great verse in um, one of the rappers of today, and he says this, we don't fight for the win, we fight from the win. I love that. We don't fight for the W, we fight from the W. We fight from a position of victory. Why? Because we know whose armor we bear. Verse 14. Stand therefore having fastened on the belt of truth. Now, it's been a runway getting us to, now we're going to equip you through the scripture to see this is what the Lord is giving you to, to pick up, to strap on every moment of every day. Here's what it is now. Paul's going to line it out for us. And again, remember, he's thinking Isaiah. He's thinking of the Messiah's armor is what we are to put on. Look at the text, verse 14. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. The idea of this belt of truth is you guys would know in ancient warfare, the tunic would have been worn, it would have been drawn up, and there would have been a fastening that would have brought a center to the warrior. To go into battle and to have your tunic untucked was foolishness. Because what it did is, is you would go and you would not be protected. You know what I'm saying? You would not have been protected in battle. So what Paul is saying to the listeners and to you 2,000 years later 
Men, put on truth. It protects your vitals. It, it helps center you. See, everything in the armor would come together with the belt of truth. It would center the warrior. Paul's very specific in his terms. Again, thinking back, Isaiah saying, men, you've got to put truth on every single day. The belt gave the warrior a center, protected the vital. And how? With the truth of God's word. Understanding truth keeps you centered. One of the terms we love as a ministry is that we are to command our heart toward what's true. Many men are running around in the battlefield unprotected and, unex and exposed because they haven't put the belt of truth on. We are to be men that put the whole armor of God on, including the belt of truth. The breastplate of righteousness. I would ask the question, whose righteousness? Is it ours? No. The righteousness of the Messiah. The righteousness of this warrior King Jesus is who we are to put on. Again, what does the breastplate do? It protects our vitals, protects our heart, protects our lungs, our livelihood. Remember whose armor you were wearing in the battle, and the enemy loves to throw lies in this area of our lives. This, the, the enemy will lie and attack in this area of a man of God all the time. And yet stand encouraged. King Jesus, battle-tested armor that protects our vital organs, our heart. Remember again, back to David and Saul, the idea that battle-worn Paul or Saul, David didn't put on Saul's because it wasn't battle-tested. Yours has been battle-tested. Put on his righteousness. When I ask the question, who are you? Your tendency, or tell me about yourself, your tendency would be to go to what you do. Think about that. What do you do for a living? What do you spend time doing? You know, those kind of, well, ask those questions. They always direct back to what you do. Whereas what we have here, the breastplate of righteousness, the righteousness is who you are. That's where we're to rest. That's how we go to battle. Look at verse 15. And as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. I don't know if, if, about you guys, but when you read this, I thought, what in the world does that mean? Shoes prepared with the, the, the readiness of the gospel of peace? Let me unpack it for you. Shoes, think about cleats. Think about digging in during hand-to-hand -hand combat. When Pete and I were, were facing off each other, we got in a fighter's stance because that gives us better position in the battle. So the idea is we have feet that are sunk in and positioned with what? The readiness given by the gospel of peace. What is the gospel? The good news. The good news of Jesus. What Paul is telling the reader and telling you today is that when you position yourself with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace, you are positioning yourself with the good news that comes from the gospel. The idea is that when I dig these shoes in, I am trusting that the good news of the gospel, salvation is coming. My hero is coming. I trust that when I dig my feet in, what he's equipped me with will withstand. It's almost as if the warrior is saying, 
dear God, please surrender me. Please get me out of this battle. Please bring salvation to me. That's what the text is talking about. There's this looking forward to us being saved from the battle that we are in the midst of. Dear God, deliver me. Lastly, we see in verse 16, 17, and 18 that there is this shield of faith with which you can extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one. And we'll real quickly speak about this. Is that shields were made of wood and leather. And the enemy would, would loose arrows with, with fire lit on the ends. And the warriors of old would take their, their shields, they would dip it in water to extinct, extinguish the arrows. So the arrows would come, but because they were hidden under faith, it would extinguish the arrows. The enemy is always about loosing arrows from secret places. It's always about loosing arrows at you with the intention of destruction. Always, always, always. But the armor of God has provision for that. It says faith in Christ. You see Romans 10, 17 says faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of God that when we stand again behind the word of God, the enemy's arrows do not make their land. They are extinguished. Your cover is to be the word of God in all circumstances. 17, the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. The idea of this, this helmet is, is that our salvation needs to penetrate our minds. Remind yourself of the salvation of Jesus. We should preach the gospel to ourselves every single day. The salvation of our God should protect our mind. And the sword of the Spirit is the same word that in Latin means gladius. It's a double-edged sword that was very effective in battle. And what Paul is telling the listeners is that this word, this scripture, is your most effective offensive weapon. Spend time with it. Engage it. Know how to wield it. Know when something comes against you that doesn't line up with it because you know it so well. You see, men, we're not just trying to get you to do your, your, your devotionals or your morning uh, devotion time so you check the box off and you have 365 days of the word. We're talking battle here. You have to know how to wield the sword. You know how you protect those in your sphere of influence? Knowing how to stand and be offensive. Know how to vanquish the fallen foe. Make sense? We have to be men that spend time in the word. Notice that all temptations that Satan brought against Jesus used the twisting of scripture. He always twisted the scripture. Whenever Satan came against Jesus specifically, he would twist the scripture. You even see it with Adam and Eve. There's this idea of I wanna twist what God says. We have to know what the word says so that we know when it's being twisted. Make sense? Praying at all times, verse 18, in the spirit, with all prayer and supplication, to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, with supplication for all the saints. This is the daily battle, and battle is against one of the most powerful creations, the enemy. That's the battle that we enter into. Don't enter into the battle lightly. 
Know that he is defeated, yes, but he is wise. He's, and this is going to blow your mind, he's smarter than you. I know, I know, the enemy is smarter than you. That's why I have to be clothed in his salvation, the Lord's salvation. That's why I have to be his righteousness. That's why I have to use his word, because in and of myself, I have nothing to bring victory. It's all because of Christ. Man, I want to give you a picture of what it looks like to pray and, and, and with all perseverance, praying in the spirit and for the saints. And, and it's, a, it's an illustration that we've used multiple times across the world that give a picture of community, give a picture of how do we, how do we lock in together as men? How do we make sure that we know we're not in this battle alone? So if I could, have all of you men rise for me. And I want you to all join where you're just come across the aisle to where you'll be shoulder to shoulder. We have to be able to lock into to each other. So I need every man in the room. Yep. So come across so we can join each other. And then I want you to do this to where you put your arms up and you lock shields together. <clears throat> Those in the back, make sure that you engage together. No one stands alone in this. Good. Everybody locked in? In ancient warfare, what they would do is they would actually craft shields that would lock one into another. That when those shields locked in, they were more effective against the enemy because there was a strength that was brought by the shields locking together. If they were broken apart... They were not as strong. This is how you are called to live life. This is how you are called to go out into the battlefield. Are there times where you are called to fight alone? Yes. The majority of the time, you were called to enter the battlefield like this. Because who did Jesus give his, his armor to? The bride of Christ. You, the church. That's who he gave the armor to. So I want you to try this. So go ahead and sway a little bit. Yeah. Woo! You know what's amazing to me? Is that there's some movement over here that affects this man way over here. There's some movement back there that affects that man. Okay, you can stop. You don't want people falling over. That, that's what the battle rhythm feels like. That's how we know that we are locked in with one another. That when their worst day, their evil day comes, you feel it. Because you know their life. You're locked in with them. This men of Ireland is how we're to live life. This is community. This is how we make sure those in our sphere of influence are safe. Thanks for listening. We hope that you've been blessed by today's teaching. For more information on our ministry and everything that we do or to get in contact, head over to our website, cvm.ie. Hope to see you soon.